banditos. Welcome to another episode of the Dollar Bin Bandits on this June 22nd. I am Joe Marcello. I'm Warren Phillips. I'm Mike Farah. And this is the Dollar Bin Bandits podcast. And today we're bringing you our interview with Simon Furman. Simon is the man, dare I say, the man behind Transformers. Uh, he did I just an obscene number of issues uh, in the UK uh, writing Transformers. It was just absolutely fantastic. Then he came over here and took over for our old guest, Bob Budiansky. Um, just, just I, look, there's not much I could say other than I just fanboyed out this entire interview because talking to the guy who brought us uh, basically uh, Unicron and Primus and all the like just heavy hitters of the Transformers world was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I couldn't make this one. I had a work commitment, but as soon as I booked it, I knew this was going to be like a gift for you guys because uh, it's right up your alley. And uh, just chatting with him on Facebook Messenger, he seemed like such a cool guy. So uh, you could tell listening to this, you guys had an absolute blast working together. Yeah. Um, in case you couldn't figure it out, Joe and I are pretty big Transformers fans. So getting to talk to Simon, who took what Bob Budiansky did, who which was a lot, and then adding, you know, a whole sort of origin layer uh, onto it uh, for the UK comics and then kind of cross-pollinated with the show and the movie. And, you know, it's just amazing the creativity he brought to that franchise. And I will also mention that a little spinoff from Transformers became his own character in the Marvel Universe was Death's Head, which if you haven't read Death's Head, I implore you to go back and read it. I remember Death's Head 2, which was sort of a different version that came out in the 90s, but the original is very cool and I think is primed for a, a comeback as well. So let's get to our interview with Simon Furman. How are you, sir? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Really looking forward to this. Thank you so much. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Like I said, you... Uh contributed to a big part of our childhood in uh, in a great way. Uh, and I'm going to ask you the same way, uh, same question we start off uh, with all of our guests. Uh, how did you discover comics? Uh, you know, like most kids, I suppose, you know, going to the, uh, the corner store and uh, picking up a copy of originally things for me, like the Beano and the Dandy and the other sort of, fun, I suppose, funny comics rather than, superhero or action comics but pretty much that that changed really quickly into the more action adventure comics you know we had a whole range here like valiant smash lion and they were primarily you know two or three page action strips characters like robot archie and uh, house of dolman and the steel claw these were the kind of strips that got me hooked really on comics, you know, on the medium of storytelling and, uh, and yeah, really fired off everything else. Very, very cool. And I uh, guess secondary to that, sorry, just to add, you know, then I discovered Marvel comics and, you know, that completely blew me away at that point. You know, I, I sort of suddenly was finding the reprints and sometimes the original American editions of early Spider-Mans. And that really got me sort of fired up for comics and it's never really left me. Got it. Excellent. Um, 
You are very well known for having uh, written a majority of the Transformers series from Marvel, uh, taking over for Bob Budiansky, who we had on the program. Um, I'd love to know, you know, how did that uh, come about and how did it feel to take over for Bob, given that he basically invented a lot of this world? Yeah, I mean, strangely, I'd been working on Transformers by then for several years myself over in the UK. And so, you know, Bob and I got to know each other over the course of that time. Once he discovered there was a Marvel UK and we were producing Transformers material, you know, over a couple of visits, we got to know each other pretty well. And, you know, because we were also reprinting Bob's stories and often somewhat lacing our UK Transformers stories in with the American stories. There wasn't really a kind of, oh, God, I've got to change tack or anything once I switched over to the American comic. You know, as much as possible, it was a a really smooth transition. And, you know, when it came to it, when Bob had decided he'd really, I suppose, had enough, told enough stories uh, in that universe... He more or less just handed it over to me. I mean, I don't even know whether it was officially within his power to do so, but I'm pretty sure the editor, Don Daly, just said, well, if you leave, who the hell are we going to get to replace you? Who knows these robots the way you do? And, of course, he knew me. And over the course of a a visit to London from Bob, he just uh, said, you know, would you like to take over from me? I'm leaving. And, of course, I jumped at the chance. Quick question, and this is, from my knowledge, really more than anything, is there, do, so doing our research, and, you know, we've talked to, over the past year, we've talked to a number of writers and artists, and, uh, you know, many of which are not necessarily in the U.S., they're overseas. There are other versions of comics for other countries. Do they, in the case of the U.K., um, do they always just... That's the best way to describe this. Do they write different stories based upon the region? Or are they translations of one another? Obviously, you don't need to necessarily translate for the UK, but does is there a continuity across the board traditionally? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it depends where and what. With Transformers, like I say, we were very much cutting and pasting our stories in between the... Because as far as UK readers of the comic were concerned... There was no US-UK storyline. It was just one storyline. So we took pains, sometimes even doing slight editorial tweaks to to gel the stories together better. Got it. So with Transformers, the only main differences were that I guess the style of writing was different. We came from a whole different, I suppose, comic storytelling aesthetic. You know, often our stories were a little grimmer and and grittier than the US ones so, not always but we we just came from a background of comics that often you know had weird and wonderful characters instead of out and out superhero you know paragons of virtue as the lead right. characters and you know often were a little more visceral a little more in your face you know we came from a comic called action which was quite sort of reactionary at the time in Britain and 2000 AD, which had a very subversive 
ethic to it. Mm-hmm. And just generally, often the anti-heroes and the villains were often headliners in UK strips. So we came at it from a slightly different direction, I think. And so the tone and the content was slightly different, a little more in your face. We certainly didn't do any kind of writing down. You know, I mean, I was very aware that I wanted to write the stories I would want to read as a kid of that age. And they weren't sort of, you know, softened. They weren't sort of, you know, I didn't want to sort of not pull punch or rather I didn't want to pull punches because, you know, back when I was a kid, the British comics just didn't. They were fairly sort of full on. So, uh, you know, we approached it with a, you know, without concession necessarily to the fact that our readers were sometimes five or six. Mm -hmm. You know, we still just told stories. You know, we were lucky because they were robots. So if terrible things happened to them, it wasn't as you know, traumatizing, I guess, as if well, they look, when Optimus Prime died, we all cried, you know, (laughs) (laughs) it seems like, you know, in the UK, you guys can get, you definitely, you can get away with a lot more than you can in the, in the U S because in the U S we're just, you know, babies about everything. And, you know, yeah, there wasn't really a comics code and I don't think Hasbro UK were, were sort of putting transformers through the same, fine sieve to make sure nothing got through and you know often bob was saddled with introducing 10 20 30 new characters over the course of a few issues Mm. whereas because we were juggling stories in around the gaps we were able to focus much more down on a few characters you know if, if bob wasn't using the dinobots we used the hell out of the Dinobots while he, they were sort of fair game. So, yeah. you know, often we were able to, you know, I, I suppose just get much more character-centric and and really go in deep on the robots' personalities, whereas Bob, like I say, may have two, three special teams to throw at the reader. And so, you know, each one gets one word bubble of introduction. So, you know, we had it easy, I suppose, you know, compared to Bob. Okay. Now, when we talked to Bob, he made it abundantly clear that he didn't watch the series. Did you ever watch the series? Well, there was a point where we became aware of the series. You know, it didn't okay. appear immediately here in the UK, you know, and then we got a couple of sporadic VHS releases of the show and it started to appear on a Saturday morning kids TV show as well. So we were suddenly aware of it or more aware of it. And we, we were worried that we would confuse readers a little bit if they were watching mm-hmm. the cartoon, which has its own storyline, its own style, yeah. and then reading the comic. So, you know, we did a couple of things. We did a kind of reprise of, uh, part of an epi- part of uh, yeah, I think the opening three episodes we condensed into a story within a story okay. and you know just enmeshed it in there and you know almost said yeah you know this is just me telling the story of this you know because sometimes these things get changed in the retelling so we we're almost saying to the readers you know I know there are differences but keep reading you know this is still the continuity you need to be following. And, you know, even on the letters page, which were answered by a Transformers character, 
we often used to sort of rather dismissively say, no, 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 that's not the real story. It's the real story is the one here in the comic. So, you know, yeah. we covered ourselves a little bit. But yeah, other than that first one called Decepticon Dambusters, we didn't really bother with the TV show or the animated series until we got to Transformers the movie. Got it. Now, it seems like, you know, if, if someone's writing for humans and superheroes, you could probably pull from, you know, you could probably write that a little bit easier, I, I would assume, maybe. I don't know. But as it pertains to writing for Transformers, where do you get your inspiration to write these characters? I mean, I think a lot of the hard work was done by Bob originally. You know, I mean, the characters came very well rounded with, you know, their strengths, their weaknesses, their personalities. So, you know, it was very much if you were writing a story, you just go, well, this character and this character will create an interesting dynamic. So, you know, let's put them together in a story with some kind of, you know, over story to connect them. So, you know, a lot of it was there anyway. But really, I don't think I approached Transformers different to if it had been human beings. If we, you know, we did a lot of things like Action Force at the time, which was our version of G.I. Joe. Mm. And, you know, obviously human characters. But I don't think my, my approach to writing them was any different. You know, the robots were the characters. So, you know, we just, well, again, and I think it was one of the things the readers appreciated and picked up on was that we weren't treating them like robots you know they these were the equivalent of flesh and blood blood characters with all the accompanying weaknesses and frailties and strengths and and i think you know once you started on that tack you know you got quite a loyal readership because you weren't just saying these are alien robots and you know they they think and feel the way we do so one thing you did not inherit from Bob and you put your own stamp on the mythos was the origin of sort of Transformers as as a world, as a, um, you know, discoverable um, storyline, which is by introducing, you know, these two sort of godlike um, uh, creatures or, or robots, Primus and Unicron, um, how how was that uh how did that come about uh was it always your intention when um when you were writing to dig back to the to the origins and and tell that you know very primal sort of tale well yeah i mean i suppose this also plays back into the tv series because i was never a huge fan of the idea that They'd been created by the Quintessons as some kind of worker race who'd rebelled. It just kind of, to me, it just took away from the, the importance of the characters in the cosmic scheme of things, that they were built by another alien race. So, you know, I just, since we weren't bound by anything, since this was the days, I suppose, when you could just throw lore and backstory in without there being a huge problem or, you know, Hasbro or Marvel saying you can't do that. We just thought, well, look, we've got this great villain from the movie. You know, we'd already used Unicron in um, Target 2006 and we were spinning stories in and out of that movie. So it, it became sort of more or less, well, if there's Unicron, 
what's on the other side? You know, there's got this massive godlike being. And, you know, I was weaned, as I was saying, on kind of Stanley, Jack Kirby stories of gods and monsters and cosmic beings. And it just felt like, you know, let's give the Transformers a big backstory, you know, one that goes to the back to the beginning of time and, you know, even before that and and give it some myth and majesty and make them really important in the cosmic scheme of things. So I think that was where Primus and this idea of gods, if you like, came from, that, you know, we wanted them to have, you know, a big, big cosmic backstory that, you know, then we could build towards some kind of big dramatic, you know, next phase of that conflict. I love Unicron. <laughs> I really yeah, did. But- I was always bummed we never got to see Primus in any yeah. kind of, you know, cartoon form because, you know, if Unicron was so badass, at least in in the comics, definitely and certainly uh, in the version of the cartoon, man, Primus would have been cool too. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've got to say how influential that animated movie was and how much freedom and latitude it gave us because before that like I say we were we were more or less keeping our stories very self-contained so they could drop in between the American stories and not mess with continuity but the animated movie a blew us away because we'd never seen that sort of anime style of animation before and you know we just loved the film and b you know Marvel in America Bob weren't going to use those characters and that future storyline outside of an adaptation. So we just thought, well, great, we've got a cast. We've got a cast we can use with complete confidence that nothing Bob and the American side does will affect. So, you know, from that, really, it it changed everything in terms of we can just do our own storylines now, things that gather momentum over... 50 episodes or something. So it really did help us a great deal. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, the movie was great because it it actually changed the story. I mean, up until that point, at least as pertained to the, uh, the cartoon, you know, it just business as usual, you know, everything was resolved at the end of the episode, but this took, you know, it was, you took the universe, you wiped out the original cast. Everyone was done, brought in new characters and, you know, things happened that mattered, or at least for a little while, because I know they knew the new, the next season after that, they kind of erased everything and brought everyone back. And, you know, Optimus prime came back and, you know, whatever. But, um, it, the transformers has been with so many different creators over the years, Marvel, uh man i'm i'm forgetting all the dreamwave yes and then idw most recently who is just killing it in terms of producing all these versions um you know side stories and arcs and whatnot and you've been a part of pretty much any any most of those incarnations what keeps bringing you back to transformers I think, you know, it's, it's you know, Transformers has been very good to me. It's more or less underpinned my whole career. I've done lots of other things, but, you know, Transformers 
keeps coming back in different shapes and forms. And I never, you know, I never tire of it, you know, be it Generation 2 or The War Within for Dreamwave or Infiltration for IDW. There's always something new you can do with it, you know. And I think, you know, if you look at IDW, the whole of IDW, wow, they've taken it to so many more places as well. And I just think, you know, it's genuinely, I never tire of this. And, you know, of course, I do other things all the time, but every now and then Transformers just keeps coming back, which is great. And I'm more than happy just to jump in again. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. Uh, it's been, I, I, I really enjoy the, the IDW stuff. I mean, I've enjoyed most of it, but IDW really is just, um, you know, they build on the, the whole mythos, uh, things happen that matter and change. So it's been fantastic, but yep. sorry, my God. I wanted to actually change direction for a moment. Uh, we may still have some transformers questions because we always have transformers questions, but um, death's head is something that I'm uh, a bit fascinated by. Now we're sort of nineties kids. So we grew up when uh, death's head two was sort of the um, big blowout character um but correct me if i'm wrong you you did not have much if anything to do with the death's head two character is that right that's right i mean that you know death's head came about you know originally because we needed what we thought was going to be a throwaway character in a transformers story you know we he was supposed to be done and gone in the course of one of our future storylines but, you know, when we saw the visuals for the character, we thought, oh, this is just too good to dispose of. So we took some steps to make him a Marvel character. And then pretty much from there, he steamrolled into, you know, other of our comics, Marvel UK. He was in Dragon's Claws, then in his own title. And then he went to the US and we put him in She-Hulk and Marvel Comics Presents. So, you know, he just sort of gained this all this momentum. But when um, Paul Neary took over as EIC or editor-in-chief of Marvel UK, he changed tack and wanted that more sort of 90s, I think, approach to characters. <coughs> Excuse me. So, you know, they went in a different way with Death's Head 2. But, you know, and, and, you know, that was around for a few years. But then slowly, slowly, other creators started to bring back the original into the comics. Kieran Gillen put him in Iron Man. He was in Sword. He came, and you know, a lot of them gravitated more towards the original than the Death Said Two character. Just, I, I think, just because the original had more of a sort of offbeat, quirky, slightly sort of weird humor sense to it than. Uh, the more sort of big guns death said too. Right. And, you know, and then since then it just seems to carry on that the character is, you know, they made a little figure out of him. They, you know, they, you know, we hope one day they'll stick him in the Marvel cinematic universe. That would be so cool. And he's just one of those characters that, you know, he, he's weird because he defies the normal character model, which is they must have conflict. They must, grow they must change and 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 he doesn't he's he's a sort of constant he just kills people for money and 
that's it with him. So, you know, it's weird that in some ways he's sort of got this sub popularity going on that's kept him going for, well, now 30 plus years, 35 years. So, you know, he's an, he's a strange character, but we sort of love him and we're very glad we sort of took him out of Transformers and into the more mainstream Marvel universe. I, I think it's really, as I said, fascinating sort of not only the origin of how the character came to be in Marvel, but the what you're identifying there as the sort of sweet spot for a character, which is popular enough to have uh, some longevity and to pop up in all of these other books and hopefully, you know, the cinematic universe, but not so popular <laughs> as to get to the point where um, he's overexposed one or two that you have to uh, introduce this growth and, you know, um, emotional arcs and stuff. He's just kind of a pure character, which is like really the sweet spot. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, I suppose what you do with a character like that is you give the growth and the story arcs to the supporting characters around him while he just plows his own sort of straight furrow and you know you can still tell really interesting stories without the need to change the fundamentals of of what that character is given the success of death's head as a character and his sort of unusual birth or or transference from transformers to marvel were there any other characters subsequent to that or even looking back that you said mm, maybe this would work also in in marvel as opposed to transformers or or some other place i mean sure you know that marvel uk were quite prolific in creating their own characters and you know i mean that we did dragon's claws there was a series called sleaze brothers you know, and then it went on into things like Knights of Pendragon, which had the big link to Captain Britain. Yep. So, you know, I think there's a kind of rich history anyway, well, certainly from that mid-80s period onwards. And, you know, then you get into that kind of second wave of Marvel UK where it was Death's Head 2, Motormouth. <coughs> Excuse me, my voice is going. Death's Head 2, Motormouth and all those characters so, I mean, I think it's always been there, that kind of development of the UK characters, and then a subsequent, I suppose, leakage into the larger Marvel universe. You know, Captain Britain now obviously is a, a fair, feral mainstay of the Marvel US universe, and a lot of that continuity from there. So, yeah, I mean, it's not surprising. I mean, I dropped deaths when I was writing other things for Marvel, like She-Hulk and what ifs and marvel comics presents i drop death's in death's head in at every opportunity and he's kind of the ideal guest star you know he's he's perfect for a, a one-shot appearance and then off he goes again and walt simonson who did some covers for us put him in fantastic four for an issue so you know that was really nice as well you know i think he's just a character that you know, the people who know him kind of love him as well. And and then you do get this next generation of creators who are putting them into their books, putting them into their books as well. That has to be satisfying. <laughs> yeah, very see. much. I mean, it's very much to reach 
a 35th anniversary of a character and Marvel have just bought out a mini series with the character and a collected edition of his early stuff. So yeah, it feels, you know, very gratifying that, you know, it didn't just fade into obscurity. You know, I'd love to have seen Dragon's Claws go on into the mainstream Marvel universe in some way, but, you know, Death's Head did. So that's nice to have that sort of foothold, I guess. I think if anything has, you know, we learned anything as of late with all the various TV and programming, anything is possible. Yeah. Anything can happen. If there is a comic book property out there, someone is researching a way to create a movie or a show for it. So give it time. Some some very obscure characters are making their way or obscurer characters are making their way into TV shows and movies now. So we can hope. And with, with the kind of special effects CGI now, it just wouldn't be a big deal to do a death's head. Yeah. I mean, just takes the right person to write the story compelling enough and selling it to the right person is going to be like, yeah, do it here. Check money. Go. So, you know, I kind of think he'd fit really well into the guardians of the galaxy cosmic storyline. Oh yeah. Give it to James Gunn. He'll make it happen. (laughs) He would be perfect for that. Absolutely. You know, I was very hopeful when I saw Loki because it dealt with the TVA, the Time Variance Authority. Mm -hmm. And uh, when in the Fantastic Four appearance by Walt Simonson, he was working for the TVA, Death's Head. So, you know, I was thinking, there we go. We've got the TVA in there. Next step. So we've got all the adjacent, you know, set up for it. So just a matter of time. Yeah. Um, I can drink. (laughs) One question I want to ask before we move on, and I, again, it's now that are Transformers, so I apologize. But um, <laughs> do you have a favorite character you enjoyed writing about? Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, there's no big secret that I kind of love Grimlock and the Dinobots. I always found them just immensely enjoyable to write. You know, I've always loved characters that aren't. Megatron bad or Optimus Prime good, Mm -hmm. you know, that they're somewhere in the middle there. They tread a very conflicted or, you know, could go one way or the other existence. And I always find those characters give you much more risk to the mill when it comes to interesting stories. So, you know, I've always loved them. You know, I mean, I love the bad guys. Mm -hmm the bad guys are always somewhat more interesting to write than the good guys. But then, you know, you try, I've always tried to, even if it's a fairly obscure character, develop them into something interesting. So when we dropped the likes of Bludgeon into the Transformers story in a big way, we, you know, we made him a little more than, well, certainly the toy appeared to be Mm -hmm. or the tech specs. And I think, you know, it's only looking at what's there and trying to make it as interesting and, and you know, come off the page as much as possible. So, you know, there's no characters I don't like, maybe with the exception of Wheelie, but even then I did a Wheelie Spotlight <laughs> with House <laughs> So, you know, it's what you make of it. Do you think there's one that's underutilized? Characters? Yeah. yeah I'm sure there are some that just by nature of there being 
300, 400, 500 characters have sort of slipped through the net a bit. You know, very early on, there were characters like Red Alert and Blue Streak who barely got a a moment in the sun mm-hmm. in the UK, either UK or US comics. And, you know, I suppose it's just the way it goes. Once you, When you're continually feeding new characters in, you can't always have the whole cast in there. Yeah. But, you know, I write for, uh, I write storylines for um, a mobile game called Transformers Earth Wars. And, you know, they've got quite a, a long, a big roster of characters now. It's been going something like five years. And I always make sure I go back and recycle some of the, the sort of first waves of characters into these little extra storylines you get, just because, you know, otherwise it's like poor old Pipes. He, he was in one storyline and then he's gone. So I do cycle back and try and make sure the older characters get a look in as well. Yeah, I, um, one of the characters that I, always fascinated me was uh, Shockwave. Um, having uh, obviously, you know, my introduction to, to Transformers was the cartoon, and then I discovered the the comics afterwards. So in the comics, uh, in the in the cartoon, you know, he was just the guy who was left behind on Cybertron. But then you come to discover, like, no, he's a big deal character. In the Decepticons, I mean, he really, for all intents and purposes, would have been the, you know, leader of the Decepticons at some point. And, uh, you know, the fact that he only has a dot for a face, I thought that was cool. (laughs) You know, but yeah, I just thought he was probably more, uh, he was more evil than, than, uh, uh, than, uh, Jesus. Megatron. Megatron, thank you. Sorry, the <laughs> other big gun guy. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, Shockwave's great, and IDW did a lot with him. I mean, yeah. we, one of the first spotlights we did was Shockwave because he was a character that I thought was really interesting and maybe underexplored. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of his motivations. And then, of course, you know, James Roberts and John Barber really took him and made him such a pivotal character in their storylines. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I think that the sort of the balance was redressed somewhat in terms of Shockwave is more than just a kind of walking computer or, you know, speak your weight machine. Right. I always, I always love those sort of second in command characters because I feel like there's, some rich backstory as as to you know their resentment of uh who they're serving and you know what they've done to get to their position and so well, yeah shockwave sort of fits in, in he that, was always uh, quiet though like i love those guys too but what i liked about him like compared to say like starscream who's just like ah, you know just over the top he was quiet <laughs> you know he was evil mm-hmm. but he was quiet so he's the guy you need to keep your eye on but sorry yeah, Mike. Yeah. um Turning again uh, back to Marvel, you did, as you mentioned, uh, make a, an impression on you know quite a few books. Uh, one of which I think one of your longer runs was on Alpha Flight. Uh, I was wondering, you know, what um, brought you to that book and what you enjoyed about it. Again, it was sort of a team. It is a team book, and uh, like Transformers. And um, you know, what were your thoughts uh, working on that? 
Yeah, I mean, I absolutely loved Alpha Flight. You know, that was probably my mainest mainstream Marvel book I got to work on. And, you know, I mean, it was great. It, it was it was so nice to be operating properly in the superhero universe. I'd done some She-Hulks and some other bits and pieces. But uh, Alpha Flight was the, like you say, it was a fair, it was something like 20-odd issues and a North Star series and uh, at least one sort of giant-sized issue. So, you know, it gave me a chance to really get to explore that team and, introduce new characters and 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 yeah it was and a guest star a whole load you know i finally got to write a spider-man story in that and so you know it was it was to me the absolute pinnacle you know i you know much as i was enjoying doing transformers for marvel i so wanted to be in the superhero universe which is what had got me fired up for comics in the first place and you know i've come back from time to time I did some of the Annihilation series. So, you know, it's it's always fun, you know, when I can just get a little more Marvel work under my belt. That's awesome. Um, before we go, I just wanted to ask you about Brute Force. So <laughs> I know um, it's being adapted by uh, Paul Shear. Yeah. What can we expect? I have, you know, I I hope they keep the sort of slightly bonkers spirit of it. You know, it was it was a crazy idea in the nicest possible way. But, you know, a dolphin with an Uzi and, you know, there, there was it was a kind of weird idea. But, you know, what I love is that here we are sort of, I don't know, probably another 30 years since it was first produced as a comic or an idea. And people are sort of, you know, kind of, looking into it again i mean there are no sort of bad ideas no. and you know we certainly approached it as we would any other comic you know make it as fun and exciting and interesting you know it was a weird one because it was positioned strangely it that you know at the time marvel had their star line which was aimed at younger readers and then the mainstream marvel universe and brute force in tone and and positioning sat somewhere in between. Mm -hmm. And so we were never quite sure whether to do full-blown superhero level stuff or keep it toned down for kids. And I think because it was conceived as we're going to create a comic that will then be turned into a TV, uh, sorry, a toy line and a TV show that made our, our positioning of it really difficult in terms of tone. So, you know, we didn't want to go too hard edge with it or, or just superheroic or too embedded in the Marvel universe. But at the same time, it was hard to hit what was right, whether it was, whether it was a young kid's comic or uh, an older kid's comic. But, you know, here, Hey, here we are. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what, any kind of reinvention of it looks like. Was that Paul Shear who discovered that and brought it to Disney? Or was that just, you know, were you involved Disney, in that? I think when Disney bought Marvel, they just realized they had this thing. Okay. And, you know, I mean, it hadn't, I don't think anything had happened much with it. And I, I know that Marvel, that Marvel 616 documentary series featured yeah. it quite heavily. Right. And I think that might have, 
put it back up there in the public consciousness or the consciousness of the people who make the series. But, you know, when they announced a collected edition of it, I was probably the most surprised person. That's awesome. Before we go, what do you have coming up next that we can look out for? Well, I mean, I'm doing a lot of work in games at the moment. That's one of my main sort of, you know, where most of my time goes and a few other sort of media things. But the the images behind me are a creator-owned series I put together with Jeff Senior called To the Death. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very much channeling that time in the 80s when we were working on Dragon's Claws and Death's Head yeah. into something sort of new and that's all ours. And so that's a 10-issue maxi-series that we've put out there now. And, you know, I think what we'll do in the future is delve more into that. And, you know, we've done some new stories for a comic over here, an anthology comic called Shift. And, you know, it's gradually we're building our own little, you know, to the death universe over here. So, uh, you know, and other than that, I'm doing some work for Rebellion Publishing on their sort of superhero line. I'm writing a strip called The Leopard from Lime Street, which was a, a sort of two or three page sort of superhero story in one of the British comics from the sort of 70s and 80s. And so that's, you know, really fun because that's going back to the comics that inspired and and excited me back then. So, you know, that's very enjoyable. That's great. Now, where can uh, fans uh, find you on social media? Well, I'm on Facebook and Twitter and, you know, I'm always, you know, looking and keeping in touch with people on that and letting them know what I'm doing and where I'll be convention wise. So, yeah, you know, I think Facebook and Twitter are the best bets to find me. That sounds great. And and To The Death has its own website. So if you want to sort of have a delve in and have a look, it's 2 the deathcom Okay. Put that good. in our show notes. Yeah, definitely. Simon, uh, I'm going to thank you so much for talking to us. And, again, every time that we talk to – Look, we've been fortunate enough over the past year and a half or so to talk to, you know, the people that shaved, shaped our our comic book lives. But you, sir, the fact that you worked on one of the the properties that just made our childhood is an absolute pleasure. So thank you so much for what you've done and all your contributions. Well, thank you. And thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Hey, we're back. So. I hope you didn't mind us geeking out too much with Simon on Transformers. Uh, I could have talked to him just like for another hour or so. Um, We haven't said that in a while, but it's true because like I really wanted to dig into so much more about Transformers law lore, excuse me. Um, But, you know, we had to be mindful of his time and all that stuff. Um, But, you know, look, it was a great interview and really, you know, really showed that there's more to him than meets the eye. Oh, yep, I worked it in. <laughs> nice. Uh, you guys did a, another knock out of the park job. Uh, such a fun guy to talk to. It seems like uh, I wish somebody would maybe talk a little about GoBots once in a while for people like me, but I'll take the Transformers talk too. It was fascinating. 
Well, thank you, Oren. I'll take the compliment and we will seek out BeekoBots creators post-haste. Uh, but I love this um, discussion with Simon. It's always a great time talking to someone on the other side of the pond, as it were. And yeah, his contributions to Transformers mythos are uh, legendary and they keep continue to, you know, um, spread and uh, have implications, you know, into the future. So look it up, go get those back issues. If you haven't read them before, uh, they're great. And that'll do it for another episode of the Dollar Bin Bandits. We will be back next week, but until then, Please rate, review, and subscribe, and we will see you then. Peace. The Dollar Bin Bandits are Oren Phillips, Joe Marcello, and Mike Farah. New episodes release every Wednesday and Friday. You can find us on all the socials, at Dollar Bin Bandits on Facebook and Instagram, at DB Bandits on X. For more super nerdy discourse, join the Dollar Bin Banter group on Facebook. You can email us at dollarbinbandits at gmail.com. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you found this episode. It's the easiest and most helpful way to grow the show. Looking for merch? Search us up on TeePublic. And if you want to support what we do, smash that support button on our website, dollarbinbandits.buzzsprout.com. Thank you to Sean McMillan for our graphics and Pat McGrath for our logo. Thank you to our friends at Tomorrow's Publishing, T-W-O-M-O-R-R-O-W-S dot com. And thank you all for listening. Until next time, banditos.